Hey spooky friends and welcome to the Twisted Twins hosted by Britt and Kay and on today's episode we are going to be talking about Haunted Castles part two baby yes I'm so excited to talk about the Haunted Castles part two like we said last time in part one this is something we have been working on for a long time and we are really excited to bring these castles to you guys so it's super cool also I may have just visited one of them that I'll be talking about today. <laughs> Which one? Which one? <laughs> <laughs> so we did take a little break last week, unfortunately. Sorry, we missed you all a lot. But it was yeah. weekend, and I was doing a little road trippy from Texas yes. to Southern California. So that's where we were. We were, bu we were busy. Okay, I'm sorry. And my family has been blessed with strep yet again. So if you hear any coughs, it's just, it's just the children of the corn. Nothing to worry about. Yeah. <laughs> but let's jump right into today's topic because yeah. I'm super excited to talk about the two that I have today. And I'm sure you are just as excited. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. The first one though, that I want to talk about I I didn't go inside of it, but I did get to see it, and it was a little freaky. But um, so as some of you guys have known, if you've listened to us for a little bit, um, Britt and I are from Southern California, and we lived. You don't say. <laughs> yeah, we lived in a little place called the Antelope Valley. Do we recommend visiting? No. <laughs> but you ever have the misfortune of having to go to the Antelope Valley, there are a lot of really cool things to do out there. Um, oh, yeah. Actually, so one of the things that I did when we went out, I wanted to see the poppies. So for those of you that don't know, the California state flower is this beautiful orange poppy. And sad, sadly enough, because I got the brochure when we went to the poppy reserve. <laughs> oh, <laughs> Lord. While we're doing the, I know. It's not like we lived there for 16 years, you freak. <laughs> <laughs> that was the first time I'd ever been to the actual Poppy Reserve. Oh, okay. Have you ever been? No. <laughs> exactly. So, what is it with living close to a place and like you don't visit it? Yeah, it's like I could go there anytime, but I right. lived for, for 16 years, I never did. Yeah. But I finally went and it's super like breathtaking. Because this whole area is just covered in all these mountains. And right now is the perfect time to visit because everything is green and all of the wildflowers are out. And it is just breathtaking. So it's they don't last very long either because it gets so mm -hmm. hot. Yeah. Some of yeah. them already around like the area are starting to. I know. But, it's so sad. They're they short lived. Think, like, yeah. They think that in a couple, like a week, it'll be like a big super bloom. So anyway, so the California poppy. It's in this area where the poppy reserves is, is the last place in all of California where the poppies collectively grow like this every year. Isn't that sad? Like not even like in the wilderness somewhere else. See them like pop up randomly, but this is the only place in California that still has them in this like huge of an area. Aww. So that is why. The poppies are, you know, in Antelope Valley. And in a couple of weeks, they have like a poppy festival. It's super cute. But, um, so anyways. We so celebrate I wanted to the poppies. <laughs> yeah. 
it's like a ritualistic so yeah we finally went to the poppy reserve and when i was there i went with my mom and we were leaving and i was like why don't we go try to find the castle <laughs> she's like what the fuck are you talking about <laughs> Never heard. I was like, I know I saw it a couple years ago. There's a castle out here in like Leona Valley in the middle of the mountains. And I saw that it was up for sale a few years ago and they were doing like an open house. And everyone was like posting on Facebook, like, you have to go to the castle. You have to go to the castle. It's an open house when we finally get to see inside of it. And I was like, let's go see. Let's go find it. And of course, my mom is like, yeah, let's do this adventure. Yeah. And so we're off-roading in the mountains in her little RAV4 trying to find this. Like, we passed some crazy stuff because, unfortunately, there's a lot of wackadoos out there in the Antelope Valley. You know who you are. <laughs> and scary. But we ended up pulling right up on this, like, big private property sign. And on the very front of it, all I got a glimpse to see because mom like sped off, you know. Oh lord! I know it's so dramatic, but what I got to see on the sign was like the first line was like, "This is not Disneyland. We do not offer tours. This is private property." And then she drove off, and I was like, "Damn! Like the attitude. Relax. Pull around over there so we can look at it from that area. Yeah, <laughs> from the mountain and." um and it's so far off, but you can still kind of see it, you know? So I took a picture and I'm like, oh my gosh, there it is. How cool. Um, but it was really creepy. I got like creepy vibes, which if you've been in this kind of an area, like Britt and I have done so many paranormal investigations in the Antelope Valley. You just like know when you're getting we've like talked high. about it before. If you've listened to previous episodes, it just has a, a different um, energetic vibe there there's yeah. a lot of interesting it's interesting history and uh just weird weird stuff yeah and what i've noticed is like i mean obviously we make a point to talk about like haunted stuff or spooky stuff or twisted stuff <laughs> but um a lot of the stuff we talk about has such dark history and it's such a bummer for the people yeah. but um but it is also historical and it's so intriguing and that's kind of what keeps us doing that so it is kind of a bummer because you know i was like i want to know the history of this castle how the hell did a castle just drop into the middle of the desert valley lancaster california like what the hell is this so i google it and i'm expecting like an interesting story but it's <laughs> But it's boring as fuck. No. <laughs> it is sad as shit. Oh, no. Yeah. And I think, I think because it's just well known enough that they probably do get, have been bombarded with people wanting to, like, come in and take pictures. And they own, like, hundreds of acres out there in Leona Valley. Really? Yes. It's, like, you can't even see hardly see the castle from the fence line and they still the same like they sell the castle to people with all the land attached to it too so it sold 
like um, a few years ago for like $5.5 million. And um, <laughs> I'll get into it. But it's just, it's amazing. Because if you think of like, you know, 500 plus acres going for sell, sale in California now, I mean, just crazy. Yeah. Crazy. So I decided to look up the history of what is now known as Shay's Castle. And it's basically Lancaster, California, Leona Valley, Quartzo, whatever you want to call it. A lot of different places say that it's the Mojave Desert, which it's just technically it's like the tip of the Mojave. It's like all all out there. Um, But you can drive up to it at your own risk. These people do enjoy their signs and their privacy and their armed guards. So God, (laughs) yeah. And like, if any of you know, Lancaster or the Antelope Valley in general, there's a lot of guns out here. So be careful if you're going to go visit. And um, they do very, you know, seldomly, at least the previous owners used to do tours and they would allow like paranormal investigations happen there. The current owners, I doubt. Chase Castle isn't really a castle, but it's spooky enough to have played one on camera. By the way, I'm reading this off of the Antelope Valley Press. Um, Cute. Shout out. (laughs) (laughs) Sponsor us. (laughs) So, so yeah, the Antelope Valley is super cute, you know, down to its core of just like, aw. And they do have their own uh, newspaper. And they've got it online, too. So if you want to read this article, you can. I'm going to try to read it pretty much word for word because there's a lot of information. And it's just really cool. Um, Hidden among the rolling foothills near the Antelope Valley, California Poppy Reserve. (laughs) The stone structure with its eight bedrooms, seven baths, eight fireplaces, and a wine cellar was built by a rich Los Angeles real estate developer during the Roaring Twenties. Now, what's interesting was the other day I actually read from a different article that they moved here from New York, him and his wife. So his name is Richard Peter Shea, and his wife moved in. It may may talk about that. But um, he moved here from New York because his wife was battling serious health conditions, and he thought that the drier air here would help her, like, lung issue that she had going on. So that's why they took their riches from New York, came to Los Angeles County, and he built this castle for her. Okay, just buckle up for safety, guys. Oh, no. Richard Peter Shea supposedly was inspired by a painting of an Irish castle. Legend has it that Shea built the castle for his ailing wife, Ellen, as a testament of his love. He hoped his wife would fare better in the dry desert climate. It's like we heard that before. The castle was said to have been filled with furniture imported from Europe at a cost of close to $500,000 in the pre-Great Depression dollars. What is that converted? <sighs> Shit if I know. Look it up real quick. Pop that up, but yeah. It's expensive. So tragically, Shay was ruined by the 1929 stock market crash. He lost the castle to the bank. His wife died in 1932 and according to legend the broken-hearted Shay killed himself in December 1932 by jumping off the Venice Pier carrying a sack containing 
his wife's ashes. So what Oh I, my gosh. What I had read originally, and I was reading this out loud in the car while we're driving there. <laughs> As I'm Beautiful. reading like so it goes into more detail in other sites talking about how he was trying not to lose the castle. Um, so he was working with different banks and trying to like get a loan from this bank to pay that bank to pay that bank to pay this one to loan from that one. Wow, Peter to so pay he, Paul kind of yeah, thing. Yeah. So he and his name's well, his name's Richard. Yeah. Anyways, he <laughs> brought Peter to pay Shay. So. <laughs> He just kind of got himself into some serious freaking financial trouble. And then the depression hit, his wife dies, and he is essentially left with nothing. That's when the bank takes the castle. And um, what I read was that he had his wife's ashes around his neck, and he walked into the ocean. Oh. He just walked in and drowned himself. Which is so intense. That's I mean, the Great Depression, especially in, Cal in Los Angeles County and California, Southern California in, in general. In the world, too. There's, yeah. But we've um, explored, well, investigated a lot of different sites where a lot of people killed themselves during the Great Depression. And it's just, it is just insane. It's the so heartbreaking. Yeah. Feeling and you get. His wife with him, it's just like, it's too much. Yeah. Too much. But. Um, so the Venice Pier meaning like walking on the water well, and then just jumping I heard, in? I heard it wasn't like the boardwalk. It was like he walked. Well, the first place that I read, so it's conflicting. The first one that I read said that he was on the beach and walked straight into the water. But this one is saying that he went off the pier. So. Ugh. All we And we know from experience that. Venice, Santa Monica, oh, the whole freaking coast is um, just a dangerous place. The tide can come in. It can be incredibly brutal. Um, it can be really difficult to survive. There are tons of great white sharks. The rip current. It's the, I just, can't. Can you imagine? Can you imagine? Uh-uh. No. Oh, my God. But... Um, the body of Richard Pichet, former owner of the Shea Castle, one of the most notable estates of Antelope Valley, was found in the surf near Venice Pier last Sunday night, the Antelope Valley Ledger Gazette reported in January of 1932. How cute. The Gazette in 1932. Wow. Shea had been missing from his home in Brentwood Heights since December 24th. The suicide theory oh, of- right before Christmas. Mm-hmm. The suicide theory of his death was supported by a note he had mailed to his daughters, which said, according to the police, I am going away and I assure you there's no use looking for me. Yeah. Holy pathetic, shit. Oh, this is intense. A pathetic feature of the affair was a small sack believed to hold the ashes of his deceased wife tied around his body. Mr. Shea's valley property consisted of a handsome stone mansion located in the Painting Rocks the site of an ancient Indian settlement of the hills in the hills of the West side, Mr. Shea, according to reports had suffered heavy financial reverses recently. And the famous castle had passed into the hands of the creditor bank. Many different owners and caretakers followed. One owner planned to turn the castle into a nightclub. 
which this dream never realized. Thank God. In 1947, millionaire Thomas Lee, brother of auto dealer and radio station owner Don Lee, uh, bought the structure, dubbing it Sky Castle. Lee reportedly followed Shay's example, ending his own life jumping out of a hotel window on Wilshire Boulevard. What the hell? Yeah. Go Wait, go back a little bit when you said that it's on the side of an ancient Native American situation. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <clears throat> it's located at Painted Rocks, the site of an ancient Indian settlement in the hills of the west side of Antelope Valley. And now two oh. of the owners have committed suicide. Huh. I'm not saying, I'm just saying. Yeah, same. Um, the Heartbreaking cast- nonetheless, but... Yeah, for all involved. Yeah, exactly, on every single orifice of that. Yeah. The castle and surrounding acreage were bought in 1985 by a Sherman Oaks development company, which intended to develop it into estate homes. The most complete record of the castle's past is found in Shays Castle, a book written by Valley historian Grace Graham Pickus, and published by the Kern Antelope Historical Society in 1988. According to Pickus's book, the castle had had a number of Hollywood connections. It was once leased to Roy Rogers as a training ground for Trigger, his horse. Actor Gene Barry reportedly used the location to film some of the exploits in Certain movies, as in Prince of California, Highwaymen. I don't know. Um, I know that Buffy the Vampire Slayer was filmed there as well. I know Brad Pitt, if you guys have seen yeah. um, Babylon, Brad Pitt's latest feature film. Uh, I It was a creepy movie. I don't necessarily recommend it, but if you want to watch it, the scene where they had like the crazy party with the elephant, that's Chase Castle. There you go. Very cool. Um, it's featured in, yeah, quite a few movies and shows. Um, and it's interesting. So a couple other things that this article kind of pays homage to is the Devil's Turnpike. Huh. Talk about that. Um, into the late 1800s, a road supposedly built by Satan's minions led nice. from... <laughs> Yeah, led from Soledad Pass, where the Antelope Valley Freeway climbs out of the valley south of Palmdale to Elizabeth Lake. What I love is the detail going to this article. The way the way in which they wrote. Yes, in 2019. So cutely written. I mean, it was only written in 2019. And it says by Antelope Valley Press staff. So they don't even, like, say who wrote it. But it's super cute. Oh. Whoever you did, good job. Um, Okay, so the Devil's Turnpike. In places, the drifting sands of the desert have obliterated the mysterious road, but where the earth is hard and flinty and the sand cannot take hold, it shows as plainly as it did over a hundred years ago when it was cut, filled, graded, and smoothed by the devil himself. God damn. (laughs) The absolute drama for real well, like let's take a chill yeah lot this was all quoted from los angeles attorney and newspaper publisher horace bell and he wrote it in on the old west coast which was published 12 years after his death 
The Devil's Turnpike, he wrote, was built by a legion of demons in 1780 to acquire the soul of a Spanish army officer, but the officer foiled them in the end. Elizabeth Lake itself was created out of the hole into which the demons sank into hell, Bell wrote. What is wrong with this motherfucker? You know what I'm saying? But you know what's crazy is I actually have heard of the Elizabeth Lake monster when we lived here. Really? And, and I I mean, we've ran into so many, like, crazy things out here when we're investigating. Right. When we weren't trying to investigate. Yeah. So it's just interesting. All right, Horace. <laughs> I know. Um, okay, Horace. <laughs> Bell cites a yellow manuscript given to him by a friend, a descendant of a pioneer Spanish family. The manuscript he wrote tells how missionary father Junipero Sarah, I don't know, sorry, and an escort of Spanish cavalry were attacked and besieged by Indians at what is now Elizabeth Lake, which those of you that don't know, is about two miles away from Shay's Castle. So this is all kind of in the same area of where Britt and I grew up for most of our life. Um, an Indian convert accompanying, accompanying Sarah was able to escape to the San Gabriel mission where troopers commanded by a lieutenant named Pico were sent to rescue the expedition. The brave lieutenant and his command pushed forward in hot haste, but most unfortunately, they became lost in Las Soledades of the desert, Bell wrote. I'm sorry, this guy is just too extra for me. Like, right. trying to read this, I'm like, you're so too much. After three days and nights of wandering, worn out and hungry, the troopers found themselves back at the entrance to Soledad Pass. The frantic Pinko, P Pinko, <laughs> Pinko, raised his eyes, crossed himself desperately, and said, I Diablo. Oh, how is it in half Spanish and half English? Okay, Belle, I'm so over you. Um, hey, Diablo, <laughs> what would I give for a good road direct to the camp of the besieged Christians, my countrymen? Bell wrote, I would not only give my soul, but I would pledge my soul, the soul of all my kith and kin for generations to come. Reread that quote for me. <laughs> no, because goddamn, he sold his soul for a rope. I didn't know kith was a word. Kith? Kith and kin. I don't know. The frantic Pico raised his eyes, crossed himself desperately, and said, I, Diablo, what would I give for a good road direct to the camp of the besieged Christians, my countrymen? Bell wrote, I would not only give my soul, but I would pledge the soul of all my kith and kin for generations to come. Oh my God. So he didn't even say like, Jesus. He said, Diablo. Yeah. I'll sell my soul and oh my gosh, yeah. damning his his whole family, cursing his entire generations to come. Wow. Um, oh, tis a bargain. A demon stood before the desperate Pico, but the lieutenant of the San Gabriel Archangel 
feared nor man nor devil nor chimera deer i it's like jumping between spanish and english so don't fuck with me uh, <laughs> he always backed up his word and with a gesture of accord he replied promptly to the demon tis a bargain oh the devil went down to the av he was looking for a soul to steal because <laughs> he was behind yeah okay deep oh demons with picks shovels axes hammers pry bars and torches instantly appeared first of all i would be freaking the fuck out right if i was he one was of like was with him i'd be like pico who the fuck are you to start to making a call this and then a band of demons joined in to play i mean jesus christ okay so, literally jesus help them okay. <laughs> demon who proved to be satan himself ordered them go damn this is wild i knew i knew them demons were in the antelope valley i just knew it i can feel it in my timbers literally the demons hacked a path west through sagebrush pried rocks out of the way smoothed the roadway and spread pebbles across it why As did i think you were gonna say pride rock <laughs> like <laughs> The circle of demons. Literally, what the hell? Um, as Pico's troopers galloped forward, the demons created the road in front of them, leveling a hill at Satan's command. A fraction of a league more, and my contract is fulfilled, Satan told Pico. Wow. I shall arrive at the end of the road, but you shall not, replied Pico, stabbing, stabbing at Satan with a sword. Who the fucking nerve? Who do you think you are? What? It's like Skeleton Jack all over again. My God. Play a trick on the devil and then still get into heaven. Boy, you are out of your mind, my dude. The sword point failed to harm Satan, obviously. No shit. <laughs> it, oh my gosh. Oh my gosh. But the devil glanced at the sword's cross-shaped hilt and turned pale, Bell wrote. Pico held up the sword and shouted, Behold the cross of Christ. They go, you can't be doing this. <laughs> Satan trembled and his demons stopped their road work. Oh. Out of the way, commanded Pico, still holding up his sword. Satan and his minions fled. Pico and his troopers galloped to Sarah's camp. Uh, turning a triumphant look back into the valley where he had escaped the inferal horde, the incomparable Pico saw the demons huddled around El Demonio himself. The demon in, himself? Yeah. In the light of flames that licked out from a fearsome hole in the ground, Bell wrote, suddenly volumes of black and yellow and red smoke arose and enveloped the demons in a horrific pall. A livid lake of fire spread out all about them and down through its crimson surface, the infernal band sank from sight. The next morning when Pico, Sarah and their companions started their return to San Gabriel, they saw the lake of fire had been replaced by a lake of water. Hmm. Father Sarah with a 
Betafic with a strange expression (laughs) (laughs) and gave thanks to God for this, his gracious sign of safety to unworthy sinners. A Pico. Sorry. No, that wasn't Pico. Well, no, that was Father Sarah. Good night and goodbye, you. Y'all. Anyways, (laughs) on from that, you literally like, Pico, you're you're an unworthy sinner. Oh, right. That's what I'm saying. All of you, all of your family for generations and generations. Yeah. Like that, regardless of you trying to stab him afterwards. Yeah. And then, oh, actually, let me go ahead and hold up my sword that happens to be in the form of a cross and like fucking challenge the devil and then speak on speak on Jesus's name. Who the after, fuck after are all you? That, after all that, you go speak on my homie Jesus's name like yeah. that? Forget Boy. it. Forget it. Elizabeth Lake Monster. This is still about Bell. Bell and friend. In Bell and friend. <laughs> Mentoroso. Oh, um, sorry, something popped up. I was like, ah! Um, are also the sources for the tales about the lake monster. The Elizabeth Lake monster, I should say. A giant bat- bat-winged creature said to have devoured ranchers' cattle and frightened vanquerers with its horrible cries. And one version of the story, which was recounted in Bell's The on the old West coast, the creature was fought hand to hand by Miguel Leonis, a six foot four rancher who amazed thousands of acres of Southern California in the late 1800s. Um, an SE scholar serves 2005 retelling of the legend of spooky California Leonis, uh, known as El Basque Grande or the big Basque bought the land around the lake from another rancher who sold out because the monster had been raiding his cattle and scaring off his workers. When Leonis's ranch hands reported the monster was stealing cattle, he camped beside the lake and waited for it to emerge from the water. <gasps> Berserk. Berserk with rage. <laughs> Berserk with rage? Yeah. Berserk? Berserk with rage. <laughs> My guy. The mighty Leonis ran straight for the monster's head, roaring louder than any lion and letting off random shots with his rifle. Leonis leapt right into its face, smashing the butt of his rifle against the beast's nose and forehead and putting a fist into its right eye. The fucking audacity of these people. (laughs) Can he chill just a sec? Um, Intimidate. Oh, intimidated by the rancher's attack. The wounded monster retreated into the water and hid for months. A ranch worker later saw the creature flap away eastward, apparently for Arizona. (laughs) Apparently for Arizona! (laughs) That's what it says! (laughs) Okay! Um, Where, oh, where, according to an April 1890 article in the Tombstone Epitaph, two cowboys shot to death a creature like a giant crocodile with wings that stretched 160 feet. God so damn. On off to Arizona. Yeah. Curse yeah. that Arizona. Yeah. And that, my friends, is Shay's Castle and the surrounding area. And that's where Britt and I live for most of our life. So there you go. Yes. Okay. 
So my turn, glasses on, notes are going. So I'm going to take us across that little baby pond over into Germany. And let me spit my gum out for a second. Uh-huh, sorry. Okay, taking us back to ninth century Germany to the medieval spread of et, oh fuck. <laughs> Elts. Elts. No, it's Etz. E-T-L-Z. You Not said E-L-T-Z. E-T. I have dyslexia. Oh, pretty with your dyslexia. E-T-L-Z. Wait, maybe I just no. spelled it wrong on the, I just spelled it wrong on this one. Never mind. Elts. <laughs> 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 okay. Taking us back to the ninth century Germany, to the medieval spread of Elts Castle, also known as Berg Elts, initially constructed in 1157. This medieval Renaissance style fortress is like absolutely stunning. It looks like it's out of a fairy tale or some make-believe story. It is beautiful. We'll pop pictures up. Um, now Berg Elts, that's the castle's name, I'm just going to call that from here throughout, or Elts, has been or known, <laughs> or else, <laughs> <laughs> has been home of the Counts of Elts for over 33 generations, so literally 850 years, y'all, like, <laughs> It has been in the Elts family for 850 years. God damn. Since it was fucking constructed, like what? Okay. That's so cool. I know. I'm like, could I be an Elts? Just kidding. Um, it is also known as a, pardon my German, <laughs> um, a Gannerbenberg, or a castle that has been divided into several parts and owned by different bra branches of the same family. So each branch or each set of families owned a particular wing of the castle, if you will. It came together to ensure the fortifications of the castle. So if there was any sort of like impending threat or if they had to like rebuild the wall or something like that, they would all, you know, obviously come together. It's basically like having like one of my dreams would be to have a compound where all my family lives on. So we're all like that. It's kind of like that. 850 years. Okay. So the castle support, like we're talking servants, castle craftsmen and other locals that supported the family and the castle itself lived in the village just below the Berg Elts. <laughs> Berg Elts. <laughs> So the Berg, maybe I'll just call it the Berg. <laughs> the Berg is located in Worsham, Germany, and it was built on <laughs> and it was built on a 230 foot, because we're Americans are doing feet, not meters, y'all, sorry. 230 foot high rocky space within the Elts Forest 
which had the castle nestled inside of it for the the castle nestled <laughs> inside <laughs> of it for the perfect middle ground between farmland markets and the Roman trade route. So it was providing like a wealthy stream of income, a wealthy stream of income, a great stream of income and wealth to the Elts family line and neighboring families alike. Um, so Burke Elts, unlike many other local and ancient castles is an incredible standing um, thanks to the Elts family's long line of connections and support throughout Germany and Europe alike. Um, a lot of Germany's castles, they have like, I think it was over 200 or 2000 castles. Some, there's a two zero zero, maybe a fourth or third zero. <laughs> Who <laughs> could tell? I know. <laughs> but exactly. But the majority of their castles are, um, in ruin just from wartime and things like that. But this one is is, is in incredible standing because of their connections, you know what I'm saying? That trade route way back when. Um, Let's see, da da da. The castle itself has many different wings and rooms, including a fully stocked treasure room with all sorts of gold, silver, ivory, um, ancient Chinese items. There's a historical war room full of period weaponry, armor, and 78 more rooms to tour. <laughs> I wonder just the two coolest. I wonder if this was ever like taken over um, during like the Nazi time. Are you gonna get there? I'm not gonna talk about it with this particular castle. I just kind of breezed past that. But yeah. Huh. Is yeah. that how he, like, Hitler was stealing a bunch of art and stuff from all over the place? I do remember that, but um, this also, I know it it didn't pass into their hands, per se, mm. but it, yeah. Hmm. I see how you stayed in power, Elts family. <laughs> Right? Hmm. Interesting. So although this pit picturesque whimsical castle has managed to stay in one piece over the last nearly 900 years, there is one particular feud that is pretty interesting and notable. So it is known as the Elts feud, which took place between 1331 and 1336. And it was a gruesome battle ensued between the lords of Elzer and, which was like several different lords, and the archbishop and elector Baldwin von Trier. Now, um, I'm just going to call him Baldwin. Baldwin was relentless on his mission to reincorporate the knights of Castle Elz as well as, forgive my German, um, Ehrenberg, Skoenek, and Waldeck. Those were the, were all the knights, you know? Mm -hmm. Baldwin went as far as building a smaller castle close to Elts that was called the Trudes, 
<laughs> the Trutselts Castle, which was a siege or a counter castle against all of the others. So, like, basically, what? Baldwin uh, was a. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Bitch ass move. Now, the battle came to a conclusion only when the castle knights gave up their imperial freedom and they gave their freedom over to the archbishop. Boo, Baldwin, you suck. Not much different nowadays. <laughs> 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 now, the next story within this gorgeous castle walls is the tragic tale of Countess Agnes Elts. Now, Agnes was the only daughter of the 15th Count of Elts. So think of like the first ones way back in like 1100 you know, down the line to the 15th. Her brothers were rough warrior types and was, and she was more of like a tomboy. She was the only daughter, like I said, so she grew up with a bunch of boys um, and was just, you know, a badass tough girl, Agnes. <clears throat> now, Agnes was arranged to wed because that's what they did back then, you know, um, the Knight of Bronzeburg since her youth and over the years and several meetings with him, she was just completely uninterested in first how cold he was, um, how overall bored she was with him, how she wasn't attracted to him. Like the list went on. Damn. All... <laughs> I know. Think about this fool. <laughs> I know. The list goes on about like all the things she was just like, no, I do not want to be with you. Short, your hairline's receding. I don't yeah, mind. You're an asshole. <laughs> exactly. So she was pretty much like refusing the arranged marriage, you know, um, the betrothal or whatever, you know. Um, so her attitude and non non nonconformity, sorry, hmm. hurt the poor knight's ego, like boo-hoo, little knight. Um, that during a beautiful ball at the castle, he forcibly pulled, legend has it, forcibly pulled Agnes onto the dance floor and kissed her in front of everyone. Now, Agnes, if you don't already fucking catch my drift, is a strong, independent woman who don't need no man. Remember that. And she smacked him straight across the face in front of everybody. Ooh. Unfortunately, the knight's ego was way fragile, like way, way fragile, y'all. He caused a scene and fled the castle immediately following his outburst of unwanted PDA. But okay, my dude. Yeah. Not to mention, like, there was a time where you weren't even allowed to necessarily hold hands with someone yeah, in public. Fucking make out with them in the middle of a of a freaking dance floor like you can't do that that takes security not full. exactly like <laughs> we know what would have fully taken it away but that it makes her less like less worth whatever you know yeah. what I mean? it's, it's like tarnishes her yeah and he yeah and it's like okay well if she's tarnished then like i'm oh. her only option yeah so um now, Castle Elts for days, weeks, and months 
the castle doubled up on guards and fortifications in case the knight planned a revenge-fueled attack against the castle and the Elts family because of this. And for days, weeks, months, nothing happened. Finally believing that the knight lost interest and wasn't actually going to play out his revenge plot, the Elts castle and family let their guard down and they planned a three-day hunting event for nearly all of the men of the castle to go hunt. Little did they know, the knight had been banking on this for months. The same night that the hunt hunting trip began, the knight attacked the castle with his troops, going in through their, oh sorry, killing every guard at the castle's gates and gaining entry to the, the courtyard and killing literally everyone, anyone and everyone that stood in their way. Now up in her tower, Agnes awoke to the screams and death that occurred below. She ran to her window and knew immediately what had begun and what was unfolding. Without hesitation, she went to her brother's wardrobe, adorning his battle helmet, breastplate, and war axe. Um, to join the fight and defend herself, her people, and her castle. Very quickly, Agnes was sparring to the death with the knight, who was shocked by the trained unknown warrior he beheld. I wrote all this so fancy, right? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> was she in her tower? I'm not sure, but she was probably in her countess room, but, you know. <laughs> Unfortunately, the knight loaded... Wait. Yeah, you did write it. <laughs> I did write it. Unfortunately, the knight grabbed his armed and ready crossbow and took shot against the unknown warrior and took the shot. Fucking A. Unfortunately, the grab, <laughs> the grab, the knight grabbed his fucking crossbow and shot the unknown warrior in the chest through the breastplate, killing them immediately. <laughs> Huh? I said, what kind of a crossbow? I know, strong ass crossbow. That's all I got. Those things are like, yeah, but a breastplate. I mean, I'm not expecting you to go, pudding, but like, yeah. I mean, like, and think of their like sparring, yeah. close contact. So killing the unknown warrior immediately. Now, um, 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 it wasn't until he removed the war helmet that he discovered his beloved Agnes was now dead by his own hand. Bitch. Yep. Now, one of Berg Elt's most recognizable and active ghosts is none other than Countess Agnes. She has been seen walking the hallways at the castle, especially in the Countess room. That was once her very own room in her tower. Wink, wink. Um, <laughs> the armor she wore when she died is also within the room, along with the war axe that she wielded. Um, she is known to open and close doors, to turn lights on and off within the castle. There's whispering and giggling that has been heard throughout the castle itself. There are tales of the castle staff locking every door and turning out every light before leaving after their evening shifts, only to come back in the morning with unlocked doors and brightly burning lights. 
Sneaky girl. I know. Another common apparition is at Berg Elts Castle is that of a knight on horseback near the gate just outside of the castle. Many believe that it is in fact the knight of Bronzeburg looking for his betrothed love and begging for Agnes's forgiveness for that dreadful night so many years ago. Berg Elts is an incredibly beautiful castle and is currently open to the public. Where'd you go, Kay? <laughs> Where'd you go? <laughs> I was getting a phone call. Sorry. It's like from a number I don't know, so I'm not answering it. It's like, <laughs> like hello? Like, ah! <laughs> Goodbye! <laughs> You're not in our shot. Yeah, I don't know what that was, but that's... Did you hear my last line? No. So Berg Elts is an incredibly beautiful castle, and it is currently open to the public. Ah! Oh! lucky yes See, i i feel like okay like i get it like they bought shay's castle to live in but like that's cool as fuck why would yeah. you not have it open it's incredible that's what i'm saying Kay. that's what i'm fucking something, saying something ain't adding up and you know what we know what's up so off record <laughs> hypothetically speaking human sacrifices <laughs> that's yeah. what goes through my head yeah All right, uh, just kidding. who knows just kidding just kidding for sure yeah don't look too deep into hollywood people you'll be creeped out forever yeah. so i actually picked um a castle in japan that has kind of a similar kind of a similar story with its ghost and i felt really like sad and empowered reading her story so i'm really Glad to tell you it. Okay. So I obviously do not speak Japanese and um, I, don't? I don't know. And what? I do my best when it comes to these pronunciations. Okay. But I looked up the Himaji Castle. Himaji. Himaji Castle. Okay. So very cool. Now I get to laugh at your pronunciation. Yeah, you do. Yeah, you do. Go right ahead. I done earned it, okay? Um, <laughs> built on a mountain somewhere between 1333 and 1346, the castle is large enough to be seen all around Himeji. It has the nickname White Harrow, Heron Castle due to its pale white coloration. It has over 83 rooms. And one it's one of the most visited sites in Japan. I want to go there. I know. It's really cool. I want to go here. <laughs> I want to go there. Um, it has held many owners, and it survived a takeover and the riots during the Onni War. I did look up how to pronounce that like five times. Okay, and that's what I got. Onnin War. Um, and after numerous fights over the castle, it landed in the hands of the Tadasumi family. But after some disagreements and some battles that actually didn't touch the castle at all, and I'll get into that too, but some battles during the Meiji, Meiji restoration, the Japanese government decided the castle should be owned by the government. Wow, convenient, okay. Uh, Himeji Castle is said to be incredibly lucky. Hmm. 
Hmm. Mm. As it was built for war, it became haunted by a vengeful ghost. But I also don't think what, the one I'm going to talk about today is very vengeful. Um, but I'll get to that in a second. Um, but it's also protected by magical ceramic tiles, as well as a bizarre military maze that confuses any invader. I love that. Yeah. It's pretty fucking cool. Okay. Like the thing is, is um, I mean, I'm gonna, I'm really like gonna get into it right now. My next paragraph is talking about it, but this castle has been under attack quite a few fucking times since the 1333 when it was built, and it is in pristine condition, perfect. It has never had any issue. I'll just get into it, okay? Because okay. I'm about to spoil it. So during the Second World War. The city of Himeji was firebombed by the United States, but the castle remained undamaged, even when a large firebomb landed in the castle. It did not go off. What? If it had, it would have completely destroyed the castle. That is not the first time that a bomb has landed inside of the castle and not gone off. During the Onnin War, they spent an entire full day throwing, they call them shells, but I'm assuming that they're bombs, into the castle and not a single one of them exploded. Wow. Yeah. So everyone's like, okay, okay, y'all can keep it. Like, geez Louise. Um, but it is now protected as a cultural site and people can visit this place of history whenever you want. Um, it is believed that the castle is the location of one of Japan's most famous ghost stories. Mm. And we'll get into that in a second. I did want to talk about the ceramic tiles though. Mm -hmm. The roof has all of these ceramic tiles on it um, to maintain the authenticity of the Edo, Edo period. Mom literally is going to kill us because she's going to, our I know. <laughs> teacher, and she every time we say something all messed up, she's like, I got a world like, history teacher. <laughs> so we're like, sorry, mom. But the Edo, Edo period castle, <laughs> its traditional Kawara ceramic tiles were either repaired or replaced with identical versions made by local artisans, like to this day. That's the so Japanese cool. believe that the castle is protected by these tiles. Aside from the obvious way in which they repel the elements, like rain and whatever, um, the tiles have mystical powers in Japanese folklore. Um, Himeji's Kawara tiles are decorated by Ognigawaras. Cool. Which is a type of um, ornamental tile shape, shaped like an ogre, which sits Hold at on. the Huh? Our tornado siren is going off. But it's bright outside. That doesn't matter. It can be bright on one side of your house and a tornado on the other, Brittany. Unless something happens, we'll be fine. And <laughs> it'll be good for the show if something spooky like that right. happens. Um, okay, so. Uh, tile shaped like an ogre which sits at the end of the ridges on some of its roofs. These menacing looking creatures are said to repel evil spirits and protect the castle from and its occupants from harm. Aww. Super cool. Okay, now this is the ghost that I want to talk about. 
Okay. And I promise I'm going to do the best to pronounce her name, but I think it is Okiko because that's literally like what I, the pronunciation I got from everything, but it's not spelled like that a little bit, but so Okiko is the story I'm going to talk about. And it's one of the most famous Japanese ghost stories ever. According to the story connected to this legendary, legendary ghost during the early times of the castle, Okiko was a servant. She worked in one of the dungeons, the bottom of one of the four guard towers. Um, Okiko's dungeon is believed to have been the one furthest down the mountain. Okiko's master was a successful samurai named Tessin Oyama. Her master? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So, Tessin, this motherfucker whose wife had gathered 10 expensive Dutch golden plates. And Okiko's, oh, she had a ton of duties, but one of her main duties was to make sure that those plates were always perfectly kept safe, cleaned. She had to look after Oh, I, I've heard this before. So, Tessin, however, was a fucking piece of shit, and he was not loyal to his wife because he was a fucking loser. And he had fallen in love with Okiko. Eventually, in secret, he had asked Okiko to become his mistress, saying that he would leave his wife. Okiko, however, showed no interest in Tessin and was a big bros before hose, so she respectfully said no. Yeah. And Tessin was, of course, a spoiled brat who did not appreciate being told no. And at this time, he was also plotting to kill the head of the Himeji castle. Oh, God. Which also, he's just all around like a piece of shit. Um, genuinely believing that it was his right to get whatever he wanted. That's the kind of personality this fool has. Yeah. I decided to hide one of the 10 golden plates that Okiko had to look after. So she realized that the plate was missing and began looking for it. During this time, Tessin approached her saying that if she did not decide to be with him, that he would blame her for the missing plate and have her tortured and then executed. Mm -hmm. So there's two different sides. So I'm going to say the first side. Okiko was disgusted by this pig of a piece of shit. <laughs> this is a real quote. <laughs> <laughs> she said verbatim. She said, you pig piece of shit. Um, you disgust me. And thought to herself, herself, neither seemed like a good option. So she dove headfirst into the well of the castle, in the castle courtyard. Courtyard. And she drowned herself. Oh. So okay, both of my cool. stories have people drowning themselves. It's intense. Just realize that. Okay. Um, to cover up the real reason behind her suicide, this motherfucker Tessin kept the plate hidden and blamed Oku um, Okiko for it. After that night, and for every night following, Okiko's ghost would appear, or Yurimi, as the Japanese described this type of ghost. A Yurimi is a spirit of someone who died in a sudden or rash um, yeah. circumstances. So they're usually characterized by pitch black hair, a white dress, and dismembered somehow, either missing hands or feet. Um, so like your grudge, right? Yeah. Okiko's Yurimi would climb out of the well, walk to the mansion of plates to check on the plates where all of the gold ones were kept, and the ghost would count the plates. 
Upon reaching plate number nine and not finding tin, the ghost would wail unnaturally. This phenomenon continued until uh, continued every night, and Tessin knew that he should probably put the plate back in order to appease the spirit, but still convinced that he'd have the last laugh, he refused. So every night, the Yurimi would continue this ritual, and this eventually drove Tessin to insanity. Oh. And he was thrown out of the castle, which ironically saved the castle's master from Tessin's assassination attempt. Assassination. (laughs) (laughs) This story. um, So this bitch was thrown out. So yay. Fuck you. You can still see Okiko. Um, Her spirit is still said to be around. But this story was made into one of the best known Japanese plays. And it has many variations. Although this version is widely accepted as the most accurate of what happened, the haunting of Akiko's ghost continues to this day, though not as frequent and not as persistent as it originally was. The well where Akiko drowned is known as Akiko's well. Um, The second part um, of the play, or the other possibility of what happened to Akiko, is that um, the, the wife blames Akiko... And she was beaten and executed and then thrown down the well. So two different sides, but most people believe that the legitimate side was she threw herself down the well and that the wife never knew. Yeah, I had heard that that tale before. Did they ever find the tenth plate to like appease her? I don't think so. Mm. Yeah crazy yeah i like it though i really want to go like the last haunted castles episode we did we were like we're not going to any of these fucking places maybe castle freezer that was like the only one that we were like potentially sketch yeah all the ones that we've talked about so far today i'm like i would so fucking go yeah, mine I'm not so sure. <laughs> Your last one? Last one. I'm not so sure. Well, at least I like these ones. That's what I know. I know. And I don't know. I don't know. I mean, I've seen Shay's Castle before. I don't know if I would go to it again. Just It just, I don't know. There's a but weird- I absolutely would go to the one in Japan. I would absolutely go to the one in Germany. And I might go to this one that is in South Africa. So this is Castle of Good Hope, located in Cape Town, South Africa. South Africa. South Africa. <laughs> it is all but Good Hope. <laughs> but Now, fully constructed, pay attention to this part. I'm paying attention. Fully constructed between 1666 and 1679 by Dutch soldiers, sailors, and slaves, of course. And it is the oldest standing building in South Africa, built with a pentagonal fortress style, so like a pentagon. Yes. (laughs) With, (laughs) With a courtyard and a fountain in its center, it's an eerie shape and an eerie construction year. That's what I put in parentheses. The Dutch East India Company funded the project and was wanting protection on all sides 
of this fort or at this castle, I'm sorry, against the British after a declaration of war. Basically, the Dutch had better products, had better prices than the Brits, and they did not like that because obviously East India Trading Company was their thing. Yeah. Now, the Castle of Good Hope has five bastions or like corners of the pin pentagon shape that are each after named after, I'm sorry, each named after William the Third or William of Orange, which he was the prince the, oh my goodness, my mouth. <laughs> put my glasses on. He was the prince of the Dutch Republic in the seven, 1670s, and he was the king of England, Ireland, and Scotland between um, 1689 and 1702. Now, he died in 1702, and that's why he was no longer king at that <laughs> point. Check it out. <laughs> yeah. So each of the five points or towers of the Pentagon are named after William, now, the Castle of Good Hope also has a bell tower that was built in 1684 to, duh, announce the time of day, and also as a warning alarm system. So the bell itself weighs over 600 pounds and could be heard from miles and miles away. Although the entry to the tower in large bell itself has been bricked up over about over a hundred years ago, the pull and sound of the bell ringing occurs every now and again on its own accord. Apparently, legend has it that a soldier from the Castle of Good Hope hung himself from the bell tower's ropes. Ring-a-ding-ding. -ding. I'm haunting this thing. <laughs> oh my God. Sensitive. <laughs> I know. I was like, I was like, okay, it's a legend, you know. But you know, if it's true, so sorry for you. What is with me? <laughs> Yikes! Yikes! Now, between the years 1899 to 1902, the castle was also used as a prison during the Second Boer War. And within the castle is a windowless dungeon slash torture chamber called the Dark Hole or Don Gargat, where horrors took place and prisoners were changed to the walls without, um, when not being interrogated. Sorry. During the winter, or tortured, you know, interrogated, quote unquote. Yeah. During the winter months, the dark hole often flooded, drowning the chained prisoners. Another drowning. Yeah. Huh. This horror show of an area is a major hotspot for, you guessed it, ghosts. Many claims of ghostly cries for help, disembodied voices, wails, and footsteps. Not to mention an overwhelming heaviness within the Donker got. Or oh! <laughs> People in uh, are like the Netherlands. What the fuck was that? <laughs> <laughs> like, oh, yeah. said it. 
Throughout the narrow halls of Castle of Good Hope, many apparitions, disembodied voices, and footsteps have been heard. Many reports of a man and a woman loudly arguing outside the present-day guard's room, seemingly filled with the restless souls of the castle's previous occupants. Plenty of paranormal activity occurs here. The castle is also home to a famous curse. Apparently in 1728, the governor of Castle of Good Hope at the time, <laughs> forgive me, um, Peter, <laughs> it's P, it's like Piter, Piter, Peter, <laughs> uh, and his last name is even worse, uh, Giesbert von Noot sentenced seven men to execution. Van Noot was a terribly strict man, extremely cold, militant man, and on April 23rd, 1729, Van Noot refused to grant one of the seven, one of the sevens, last wishes before his hanging. The prisoner then cursed the governor right then and there. And that evening, Van Noot was found dead of a heart attack in his office. He had been in reasonably good help, help, <laughs> reasonably good health up until that point, until his cold, dead body was found. Since then, visitors and workers alike have claimed to feel his heavy, cold presence, as well as hearing him swearing like a sailor within the castle walls. Hmm. Next up on our ghost rundown, one of the previous ladies of the castle apparently shows herself if and only if very important people visit the landmark. Lady Anne Barnard, Barnard lived and was responsible for entertaining important guests who came to the castle back in the 1700s. She's such a snooty snoot. I'll only show myself if someone important is here. She would like, not show herself if I if I visited. <laughs> She's like, bitch, get the fuck out of here. Uh, so, another, uh, on our next little ghost tour here, guys. On the top of the castle walls, many people have seen a shapeless figure of a man standing there, only to leap off into nothing, seemingly killing himself or trying to escape. Um, the final supernatural occurrence here at the Castle of Good Hope is the Hellhound seen patrolling the outer wall of the castle. This vicious, large black dog is not afraid to lunge at visitors at night before disappearing right before it lands. So like as it's jumping at you, because you imagine you're like bracing for impact and it disappears. I mean, thank goodness, but. So pissed. <laughs> yeah. I just peed my pants. <laughs> literally. Literally took the words out of my mouth. Nowadays, Castle of Good Hope is a military museum open to the public, and it is currently being renovated. And interestingly enough, a few secret rooms have been uncovered. What other mysteries could be inside this castle? Hmm. Dun, dun, dun interesting yeah and so 
that was our haunted castles episode part two baby and we've got more um of these particular theme episodes coming because the world is a very big place with lots of motherfucking castles yeah. and spooky and they all happen to be pretty fucking haunted or spooky <laughs> in general or crazy history yeah forget about it oh we know and we're gonna tell you <laughs> <laughs> yeah so thank you guys so much for listening if you are not watching this on youtube jump over to our youtube the twisted twins podcast and you can see us live laughing and making those weird faces that we make all the time and like and subscribe absolutely yes yeah. like and subscribe if you guys want more of the twisted twins definitely check out our instagram or TikTok, which just happens to be the twisted twins podcast as well so please like and subscribe if you guys have any awesome uh messages or if you've been to any of the castles that we went to or we went to that we talked about today definitely let us know we want to hear your guys stuff you know that yep yes we do and other than that we hope that you guys have a safe have a wonderful have a happy weekend you take care and, and you stay twisted, twisted. bye, bye.